RMA would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Dharawal people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people listening today. And it's not about the number. And this is what I always say to people. It's about how's alcohol making you feel? Yeah. And if it's taking more than it's giving, maybe it's time to just look at that and decide what role does it have in my life right now? Because am I showing up as the person I want to be? And that was the big flag for me. I wasn't being the mum that I wanted to be. I was like, I've got goals in this life. I've got things I want to achieve. And when I look at what is holding me back, that is the thing. And it has been the thing, Nicole. That is the thing that the minute I removed that, everything else has changed. Hello, welcome to season two of the RMA podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan. We are excited to share inspiring stories of amazing everyday women who are using running as a vehicle to connection and change in their lives. We want to share the impact of these powerful stories with you, how running can free you, challenge you, help you believe in yourself and lead you to places you never thought possible. Thank you for listening to these powerful stories. We're excited to have you on the journey with us one step at a time. Hello, RMA. Welcome back to another episode of the RMA podcast. I'm really excited to share this podcast episode with you. We have a very special guest today, Sarah Ruspatch. Sarah Ruspatch is one of our most loved RMA members. She has been part of our network for quite a long time now. And it was back in 2017 that Sarah saw a post in RMA from another member about a book on gray area drinking or on sobriety. It was then that Sarah realized that this was something that she needed to look into as alcohol was starting to affect her life. So Sarah read the book and she decided to make some changes and she went on a journey of self-discovery. Sarah learned to change the way that her life was, I guess, ruled by alcohol. She wasn't an alcoholic by any means, but she fit into this kind of gray area of where alcohol ruled most of her day and her thoughts and controlled her life and I guess had a major impact on her family, her health and her well-being. Since then, Sarah has gone on to become a gray area drinking coach and she has helped thousands and thousands of women help overcome the control of alcohol on their own lives as well. I wanted to share this conversation with you because I think that alcohol can be a huge factor that plays in a lot of our lives, especially as middle-aged women. And I just wondered whether maybe this episode would speak to us about how maybe some of us might need to make some changes in where alcohol fits into our everyday. We're not saying in this episode that alcohol is bad or that you should give up drinking at all, but maybe we just want you to question where alcohol fits into your life. I hope you love this episode. I will put in the show notes links to Sarah's website where she works with people around this issue of gray area drinking. And I'll also put in a link to the Women's Wellbeing Collective, which is Sarah's online Facebook network where lots and lots of women share around this space. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Sarah Ruspatch. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocrem Massage Gel. 
PhysioCram has been helping running mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and PhysioCram has our back. To get your own PhysioCram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find PhysioCram at your local pharmacy. So hi, Sarah. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you on. Um, as I said to our last guest and I said to all my guests, the reason for the podcast is so we can get to know lots and lots of different women in RMA and their stories. And there's just so many different stories. And, um, you know, there's some that actually I really want to touch on because they have a little bit of a... I guess, a lesson in there for all of us. So one of, you know, so the reason I had you on is because of that, um, because we want to talk today about drinking, alcohol, that is, um, and grey area drinking and how that's affected your life and how you've changed your life and the lives of other people when that's come to fruition in your life. So thank you for coming on. Um, do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone. It's such an honor to be here because I think I was trying to think of when I joined RMA, it would have been um, soon after we moved to Australia. So 2013, maybe 2012, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had moved here from the UK. Um, So back then my running, I'd kind of lived this lifestyle and in in London, and I always read about it in a Sunday magazine, they call it the... um, the champagne yoga lifestyle where at one end of the extreme you are smashing it going out getting smashed all the time you know partying it up and then the other end you're drinking kale smoothies going running doing yoga um, and, and holier than now and that has kind of always been me I'm quite an extreme person it's I'm never just going for a run I'm training for a, mar- a half marathon I'm never mm. going on a diet I'm limiting myself to 500 calories a day and feeling like shit and so that had kind of always been what I was like and so running had kind of been something that I'd done when there was a goal um and that was back in London kind of before kids that was probably in the 2000s is when I started running and doing like fun runs in Battersea Park and 5k and 10ks and things like that but never ever do I think that a half marathon was in my sights or or even um a possibility and then we moved had a baby we moved to Australia and um, to Perth um and had slowly but surely started taking up running again more so because what I found when I went for a run was it altered my headspace. Um, and that was probably the first time that I started to associate that I always knew exercise was good for my mental health, but it became something that was a bit of a should be doing this because I want, I'm mindful of my weight. So I'm, you know, I'm, I want to be healthy. So um, I'll go for a run or I'll go to the gym. And then it became more about I need this as another kind of tool to help with stress, to manage overwhelm, to get out of the house when you've got really young kids and you're just going mental and you're counting down the hours till your husband comes home. And so what what could I do? What would get me out of the house? And it was going for a run. Mm. And so I remember in those early days of, you know, the brain fog of young kids and everything else, how much that really kind of helped me. And then as my running got better and faster and I got fitter, it was kind of like, 
oh, maybe I can do a half marathon. Maybe that is something that's available to me. So I trained um, and I dared to believe it and I did it. So that was probably, I've done four, five half marathons now. Um, and um, a few of them have been wearing with pride my RMA top um, and um, and absolutely loved the camaraderie, the whole event feel of doing a run and the, yeah. the, the connection with other people. Like there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. And uh, there's so many times I've been to events when I've been injured or I haven't been able to run. And oh my God, the jealousy that you feel and that, <laughs> That kind of, and you feel so emotional because you know what it means to other people to be crossing that finish line. And you know that it's not about that day. And you know yeah. it's about all those hours that they've been out there training and the commitment that they've given and what they've not done to be able to have the time to go and train because you can't just get up and do a half marathon. It takes effort yeah. and persistence and yeah. perseverance and all of those things. Um, and so that for me was, but at the same time, I was still drinking. Um, and so, um, sometimes the, the run was the punishment, if you will, for having gone out and got pissed the night before was kind mm -hmm. of like, oh, you need to go and sweat out that alcohol that, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and, and, and then it became a kind of a, a different kind of relationship, um, at that point. Wow. What a journey. I mean, gosh, even just, there's so much we could talk about even just the beginning, like where you were from the UK, like that's even interesting to me. Like I love the polarizing sort of thoughts of running in the UK. I mean, winter, freezing, cold, and then come and move to like Perth of all places in the hot yeah. heat of Perth and um, in our summer, like just those experiences of running would have been different for you. Um, in a training perspective, you know, from like, what did you find most different? Was it, a, was it the like climate? Yeah, absolutely. The funniest thing, because in the UK, people don't have the, the early lifestyle thing. And so yeah. like, you, I would always run after work. Like you would, yeah. I would never have gone for a run before work. Like that was just weird. No one does that. So exercise was either what you did at lunchtime. So yeah. I often went to the gym and would do like 7K on the treadmill at lunchtime or I would go for a run after work. And that yeah. was kind of like your de-stress at the end of the day. Sometimes you even take your backpack and run home from work, yeah. um, which isn't that pleasant. Let me tell you, running through the streets of London with all the buses and the fumes yeah. and everything, and like dodging people and all the rest of it. So when we came here, I was like, what do you mean people get up at five o'clock in the morning to go for a run <laughs> before they start work? Like what's wrong with these people? Um, but sure enough, it didn't take long before that was me because particularly, as you say, in the heat of Perth, like this, it's 42 degrees here today. Wow. I went for a walk at 6am with a friend. We did like a 10k power walk um, and it was already in the thirties and that was at 6am. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like there were some times when I had to go running at like, five in the morning I, I never got up in the fours the fours was no for me when I used to watch RMA and I'd see people posting that they were doing they set their alarm for 345 I'd be like oh my god how do you do that I know oh, I think it just depends on what you can and can't do like if you have to do it you have to do it but I mean yeah. that's the other thing like is you know motherhood sometimes make us get up at these crazy times because it's the only time we have to fit it in and you mentioned how you were running when you had young children, like what, you know, was the reason, 
you know, you said it was to keep fit, obviously. Sometimes it was to punish yourself. But do you think the main reason was just time for you? Totally. Or were you running with kids in prams? Oh, oh, no, no. So my husband did that. So he had the double buggy and he would run with them. But yeah. I would go for a run on my own. And that yeah. was totally my me time. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I just absolutely loved that. Um, because, you know, that, that was to have that something that was for me that I yeah. knew was no one could interrupt me. My phone couldn't ring. The kids couldn't scream at me. I could just yeah. totally go and have that time. Yeah. And so what was your first half marathon that you did? It was Bustleton. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a great yeah. one. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and just absolutely loved it. But all of my um, training has been, I'll tell you the, the time that RMA helped me the absolute most was um, in, I can't remember what year it was. I think it might've been 2016. I went to Bali and I got lost river virus from um, a mosquito bite and came back and I was really, really unwell. And um, this was just in the early days of Facebook being the kind of community that it is now. And I remember posting in there that, I was so unwell. I couldn't even get out of bed. I was missing my running. I've had no family here, so I had no one to help me with the kids. Like it was a very difficult time. And I cannot tell you the messages that I got from those women. I cannot mm -hmm. tell you how much they helped me. Some of them would private message me. They would send me books to read, magazines to, like it was incredible. And so kudos to you, Nicole, for what you created. Oh, you're welcome. I actually still, re I think I remember your post, you know. I actually really? think I remember yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. the fact that you just said Ross River, it's not like the most common thing. Yeah. I think I actually remember you posting about that and thinking, yeah. oh my gosh, like how awful, like, yeah. and that you were really quite unwell. So, yeah. and that's the thing I love about RMA is that it isn't just about the running. It's actually yeah. about totally. community. Totally. And, totally. you know, I could talk about that all day because totally. although we're sitting here talking on a podcast which is a running podcast, we're really not talking about running so much. It's about yeah. what it's done for us. And part of that is always the people and the community that yeah. we get to, you know, share that adventure with. So yeah. Yeah. yours has been a big adventure. You know, you come yeah. from the other side of the world to Australia, you've made it your home and you've, you know, I guess formed great connections in Perth as well. So let's just talk a little bit about when you were running and training still and drinking alcohol you know for the purpose of this podcast we're talking about alcoholic drinks here um so when did you think that you may have had a problem with alcohol yeah and I think it slowly started building up and I think that the change for me happened after I had kids I mm. think I was always the party girl I was always a big boozer but it was always in a social setting loved the party you'd always find me last man standing you know come back to my house let's have more drinks that was like my story but yeah. it but but drinking never seemed to have any sinister side to it it was just all about having fun after we moved to Perth and I had my um, second baby really, really quickly after we moved here with a baby and I suddenly had two under two. Mm. Um, I had no friends. I had no family. My husband was setting up a business and he was out at work all day mm. and I was incredibly lonely. I was incredibly homesick. Um, I am a girl's girl through and through. I need connection. It's one of my mm. core values and that was lacking so much in my life at that point. And alcohol became something more than the thing that I did to have fun. It became the thing that I looked forward to because when I was drinking, I didn't feel so lonely. When I was drinking, it, it filled that hole a little bit. Um, and that's when 
looking back, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I can see that that's when my relationship with alcohol changed because I was sad, I was homesick, I was lonely, I was scared. My life would be completely changed. I'd gone from having a very successful career in London where I was out all the time, eating at the best restaurants, weekends in Europe, to suddenly I was at home in Perth with two tiny babies, um, a husband who was out at work all day and no one around. And so then I started looking forward to that wine at the end of the day. If I didn't go for a run, I'd drink wine or I'd go for a run and then I'd drink wine. But it had become something that I was using to self-soothe. Um, and that carried on. But it wasn't at that point that I wasn't getting any negative side effects from it. Or so I thought um, I, yeah. it wasn't affecting my sleep or hangovers or I wasn't drinking ridiculous amounts. I was never really drunk. It was just that I was using it more and more. Mm. But what happens with alcohol is when we are using it very consistently and regularly is the compound buildup of constantly your body metabolizing alcohol means that you never, ever completely process all of that alcohol before you're putting more in because it takes three days for alcohol to leave your system so even if you're not drinking every single day but if you're drinking four times a week you're never really fully metabolizing all of that alcohol um, and and it's building up and what happened for me the way that that showed was mental health so anxiety was was really bad um, I had, you know, that, that self-loathing, that voice in my head that was telling me, talking to me all the time. But then I got stuck in this vicious cycle because the only time that voice stopped was when I drank. So then I would crave the drink to stop the voice, but the drink was causing it in the first place. Mm. And so I was just in this bit of a mess externally. I looked like everything was fine. I was holding it down. I'd set up a business. I had lots of friends. I was going out all the time. Like everything looked like it was fine, but internally I was dying. Um, yeah, yeah. that was really, really hard. Oh, I mean, I can totally see how it's so subtle. Like, yes. you know, just thinking I, I'm not a drinker really at all. Like I might have the odd wine if I go out for dinner or have, you know, if I go out with friends, I might have a wine, but I'm not a social drinker really either. And I'm not a drinker at home. I hardly ever drink alcohol. Um, however, I'm sure I drank my share of it when I was young. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I kind of remember those days. It just morphed into one after you just didn't realize like, but yeah. I, I have had friends who have had problems with drinking. In fact, one of my friends passed away from being an alcoholic wow. and I could see the slope. Like I can see yeah. how it just creeps in and becomes part of your existence. And I've had friends since who have talked to me about the fact that they want to stop drinking alcohol and how that is so strange to their friends that they don't want yeah. to have a drink of wine with them. Yeah. Like, do you, did you have that with your friends? Like were your friends saying to you, like, you know, we'll, we'll just jump ahead quickly. Like when you finally stopped drinking, were your friends saying to you, like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you want to have a drink with us? Like it was like you had two heads or something. Because I think people get used to you being a certain persona. So it's not like they were doing anything bad or wrong, but they were used to Sarah the party girl. That was mm. who I was. And so everyone's reaction was just like, well, what do you mean? And also let's not forget that to the outside world, it didn't look like there was any problem going on. I didn't share the anxiety. I didn't talk about those 3am wake ups when I would wake up with my heart racing and hating myself and hating that I drank again. And how was I going to get through the day ahead? And oh my God, Sarah, you've done it again. Like you don't mm -hmm. share that. So yeah. everyone sees this facade of, yeah, yeah everything's fine. Everything's mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I said I'm taking a break, and this was in April, 2017, I took that first break. I just had this feeling that I knew 
I had to, to stop for a while. Now I'd gone to my GP and, and I said, I'm full of anxiety. I'm a mess. I'm not, I'm a shell of my, of what I'm normally like. Yeah. And at no point did she ask me how much I was drinking. She happily wrote me a prescription for anti-anxiety tablets, but alcohol didn't even come up in that conversation. Wow. And now what I know, alcohol causes anxiety. Yeah. Not, that was not all be my anxiety, question. but yeah. a lot of it. Yeah. Like, is there something in alcohol that makes people more wired more anxious like or is it just so there's a couple of things so the first thing is that when we drink alcohol we get flooded with dopamine and our beautiful delicate brain hates there to be this lack of homeostasis it hates this flooding of one neurotransmitter and it releases a hormone to counter the impact of the high that we get from the alcohol so our own brain is releasing something to bring us down so once the alcohol wears off we start here we go up here when we have a drink but we don't go back to where we started, we come right down here. Mm. And so then you're playing catch up with even wanting to get back to the place you were before you had that first drink. And if yeah. you're doing that regularly and consistently, like I was probably drinking four times a week, and you're doing that for 10 plus 20 plus years, yeah. you are getting going to get to that point. And also it takes longer as we get older for our liver to metabolize alcohol, like all of those things start to change. And that's why anxiety is so closely associated with alcohol and yet for so many people it's the only thing they've got in their toolkit to use that they mm. think helps with the anxiety but it's causing it it's such a vicious circle in the post i've seen you um, post about and on your facebook group that you have you've talked about it being called gray area drinking so not when you're like a full-blown alcoholic but like can you sort of explain to people what is gray area drinking Sure. So if you think about someone's drinking, the easiest way to imagine it is as being on a scale of one to 10. And one is someone that barely drinks. Maybe you, someone who has like a glass of champagne at a wedding, and, and, and that would be it. They don't think about alcohol. It doesn't factor in their life. 10 is the other end of the extreme. So 10 is someone who's got to the point where they're physically dependent on alcohol and they need to have medical support to stop drinking. And what's in the middle? And so gray area drinking is people that have got past that take it or leave it stage. They're starting to use alcohol to numb from uncomfortable emotions. They're using it as a tool to escape themselves a little bit for whatever reason that is. And that maybe on that scale, that's a five to an eight on that scale. Yeah. Um, but there's very little support. I've got clients who've been turned away from drug and alcohol clinics because they're not drinking enough. But there's nowhere for them to go. And we have to still remember that alcohol is a highly addictive substance. It's not as easy as going, I'll just, just cut back. Yeah. Most people can't. Mm. Wow, that's so interesting because I, mean, I would probably put myself on a scale of, I wouldn't be one, maybe I'd be like two. I yeah. don't have the odd drink at home, like, you know, but it's not like I'm thinking about it ever. Yeah. I think about it. Yeah. I'm like, if my husband's like, would you like a drink? I might say no. Or I might go, oh, okay, yeah, I wouldn't mind something. Yeah. But I never think about it. It's not like I'm waiting for it. I can't wait yeah. to have the drink that night. So you're sort of, it's starting when you're just tipping over the edge there. I mean, I could say we could have gray area running because I like use running as a, a form of, I guess, numbing my emotions sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. I guess when we start to use something that's a negative thing or something that's not going to really help us, um, to numb our emotions or to make us feel better, to get that high, to get that, feeling like you're in control, that's when the danger comes in because it becomes something you're relying on. For sure, for sure. Mm. And that's the stage that most of the ladies that are in my community are at. They don't identify as being alcoholics, 
but they do have a, a problem with alcohol. They're finding that, and you know, everyone says to me, how much were you drinking? That's the question that everyone wants to know. Because if I turn around and say, oh, I was drinking two bottles of wine a night and they go, oh, I only drink one bottle of wine a night. Phew, I'm okay. I don't have to stop. Yeah. And it's not about the number. And this is no. what I always say to people. It's about how's alcohol making you feel? Yeah. And if it's taking more than it's giving, maybe it's time to just look at that and decide what role does it have in my life right now? Because mm -hmm. am I showing up as the person I want to be? And that was the big flag for me. I wasn't being the mum that I wanted to be. I was like, I've got goals in this life. I've got things I want to achieve. And when I look at what is holding me back, that is the thing. Mm -hmm. And it has been the thing, Nicole. That is the thing that the minute I removed that, everything else has changed. Mm. And I guess like it could even be the people that like can't socialize without it, like can't go out for dinner with their friends without having alcohol, or maybe they have to have a drink before they even go. So yeah. that they're almost thinking it's going to reduce, maybe they're anxious to think it will reduce their anxiety, where in fact yeah. it's probably making it worse for them over the long run. Um, Absolutely. And lots of the ladies that I work with discover that they're actually really introverted yeah. but it was just that the alcohol gives them that false sense of confidence but in actual fact they hate going to big parties they hate going to big events they'd always rather just meet up one-on-one -on -one with friends for doing something nice and that's what being alcohol free gives you is the opportunity to get to know yourself and decide well what do I like how do I want to spend my time who with who do I enjoy spending time with whether I'm pissed or not you know and and, and asking yourself some of those questions Mm. So when you decided to stop drinking, um, you know, what did you do? I, I remember reading that you saw a post in RMA about yes. a book. So do you want to tell people a little bit about that process yeah. you went through? So I was April 2017. I'd been out to a friend's um, birthday. We'd gone to one of those high teas where it's $50 for free-flowing champagne. So I love that kind of thing, like three hours of free-flowing champagne for 50 bucks. So we started at 12 and we finished at two the next morning, 14 wow. hours of drinking champagne. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, it was a big day. And um, the next morning I um, had to take my son to cricket. Uh, my son lives for cricket and I couldn't because I couldn't drive because I was over the limit. Mm. And there is nothing that hits harder than realizing on a Sunday morning, you can't drive your son to the thing that he loves most in the world because you're still over the limit from the night before. Mm. That was a big moment for me. That was the defining moment. And then that day, because of course I'd had no energy. I felt like shit. I was lying on the sofa, scrolling Facebook because I had no motivation to do anything else. Um, Alex Muir, beautiful Alex, had put a post in RMA saying, oh, for anyone else like who's thinking about taking a break from alcohol, I've read this book. Um, it's really good. Um, it, you know, since um, reading it, it's really changed how I think about alcohol. So that was meant to happen for me. That was it. You know, and I was like, wow, okay. So I ordered the book and I intended to take 21 days off, um, thinking 21 days, that's what you need to do for a detox. That'll help my liver a bit. Um, and I took 100. Um, because it was just like, wow, I want more of this. I feel amazing. I was out mm. running all the time. I was feeling positive. I had energy. I was sleeping really well. I was being more present with my kids. Um, I had my own recruitment business at the time. And in that 100 days, I build more in 100 days than I did the whole of the 365 days the year mm. before because my energy and my motivation yeah. was just kind of through the roof. 
But then I got to the end of that 100 days, and I'd always said I'm going to get to 100 after deciding to keep going after 21. I was like, right, I'm going for 100. Um, and I got there, and I was like, well, I can't never drink again because that would just be weird. So now I've done 100 days, so I'm clearly fixed. I clearly don't have a problem. Now I'll be a normal, moderate drinker, and everything will be fine with the world. But it doesn't work like that. And within two weeks, I was back to drinking at the same level as I had been before because the brain doesn't forget and the neural mm. pathways are there. And that's how it is for people that have got to the stage that they're at with their drinking, even if they're not alcoholics. If they're at that six, seven, eight stage on that scale, no matter how long you take off, you could take a month off, a year off or five years off, you're never, ever going to reset and go back to being a moderate drinker. Yeah. But I didn't want to believe that. So I, for two years, Nicole, like two years, I tried to moderate. Two years, I refused to believe that, um, that I couldn't be the one only person that could manage to do this. Um, but I, and I'm glad I went through that two years because that taught me a lot and it taught me that life with out alcohol was a better life for me. So um, my 1000 days is tomorrow. So this time, 999 days ago, um, I knew I was gonna have my last drink that night. And, um, and, and I did, and that's been it. Wow. So what was the name of the book that you read? This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Okay, I'll make sure I put that in the show notes for anyone that might wanna read it, but. yeah. Wow. I mean, it's so true that you say it doesn't just stop. It's like your brain doesn't just switch off that you need. It's like having, you know, any addiction, an eating disorder, no matter what it is, it, it doesn't just stop. It's totally. always there in the back of your mind. Um, so I want to just go back quickly to like something I had, like one of the questions I had for you is, you know, I'm 45 almost next week. I'll be 45. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if, you want to share how old you are? I'm 45. Or? Yeah, 40, so oh, 45. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. So, I'll, you know, I find this is a real issue in middle-aged women particularly. Um, why do you think that is? I could come across in the work you're doing in this space. Like, Why do you think middle-aged women are particularly prone to grey area drinking? Well, yeah, great question. Um, a couple of reasons. I think, number one, we've got nothing else in our toolkit. So we've not been taught any other way to manage stress, to handle emotions. Um, I didn't grow up in a house where mum would say to me, oh, you're feeling X, so maybe go and do this. Like, mm. you know, like I, I can clearly remember as a kid watching mum and dad have a big argument and my dad going to the drinks cabinet and pouring himself a whiskey. And, I, and, and you know, monkey see, monkey do, that whole kind of behaviour of what we see. And I think that as a society, women have taken on more and more and more and have so much less time for themselves. And the thing about alcohol is we can do it while we're doing all the other shit. So we've got to fold the washing, make the lunches, do the dinners, help with homework. And you can do all of that whilst you're having a glass of wine and you feel less guilty because you're still doing all your mum jobs and all, all that kind of stuff. Whereas if you were to go and do a meditation or you wanted to go to a yoga class or you want to go for a run, you've got to leave the house. And yeah. sometimes that's not easy because hubby's not home from work and you've got young kids. And I think that that is where, and I know that, I told you I did an interview in Mamma Mia and over 7,000 women now have reached out to me since reading that article and they're all in that age bracket and they all said the same thing, which is, you've just told my story. And my story isn't any different to all of these women's stories. It's just that I'm open about it and I share about it to, 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 so that they don't feel so alone. Yeah. And I see so many women, like my own friends, like will say, 
I've had such a hard day or something's happened and the first thing they do is pour a glass of wine, you know, yeah. uh, instead of probably even going for a run, they pour a glass of wine or instead yeah. of talking to someone or I don't even know what else, like going painting, I don't know, reading. Oh, there's so walk, many things. Take yeah. a walk your dog, you know, anything, getting out in nature, they think it's quick, it's yeah. easy and it takes the edge off straight away. Exactly. And that's the thing. It does that instant quick fix. We call it um, dopamine effort um, reward versus that dopamine quick fix. And alcohol is instant. It's quick. It's easy to get. Whereas if you want to do something that releases dopamine that takes more effort, you've got to put more effort into it. And usually we're time poor or we're lazy or we can't be bothered. And, and, and alcohol, you know, ticks that box. But the other thing to remember is it's bloody excellent marketing as well. Like uh, yeah. the alcohol companies have done a great, great job of making us believe that it's harmless and we deserve it. And one thing I can tell to all of the listeners right now is alcohol is not self-care. Mm. We might think it is, but it's not. Mm. And like, it is true. And like, we're in Australia where it's such a lifestyle thing. Like even since, you know, I was born here and I, since growing up, it's just what you do. You'd go out and you'd have drinks with your friends or, you know, you go out for dinner and you have a drink or you, everywhere you go, you have a drink. Even there's a yeah. restaurant that's just opened local to me, Mediterranean restaurant. And on um, Facebook, they had, they had no alcohol, right? At this restaurant and where the, the restaurant they took over had alcohol before them. It was the like most popular post on like my living in my suburb page for that day because there was hundreds and hundreds of comments about what do you mean they don't have alcohol on the menu? We can't go there. Who'd go there? There's no alcohol on the menu. Like they just couldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and I thought, oh, well, I would go there. <laughs> but I yeah. guess for people, it's so important for them. Yeah. That it's just a lifestyle. Yeah. But we're conditioned to believe. What we're conditioned to believe is that life will be boring, that we will have no fun, we'll have no connection, we will be not, we won't be popular, we won't, we'll miss out, all of this thing. And that's just a curated story that the alcohol industry has worked on us so well, and they've done a brilliant job of making us think that life is boring without it. But I can honestly say that it's not, but you've got to be prepared to dig deep and do that work because it's everywhere. Yeah. It's absolutely everywhere. And, you know, it's like I wrote a blog today about my 1,000 days and I said that 1,000 days is made up of probably 10,000 individual decisions not to drink alcohol in that moment. Yeah. And that's all it is, is every decision just adds up and has got me here to where I am today. But it's hard. It's not easy. And that's why I've set up the community and, and I've been trained to become a grey area drinking coach because there's not enough support for people in that area and it's hard to give it up in an alcohol centric society. Yeah. And I think that, that that's the word that I want to like hone in on there is support. Like, like anyone who has a real big issue with alcohol as an alcoholic, they go to, you know, alcohol anonymous or whatever it is and they have the support. And without that, they probably won't survive it. They won't get yeah. through it. So support is everything and when you stop drinking and you said it took those two years did you have the support in the beginning or is that something you found later on in your journey and what also what were some of the steps that you took that made it successful for you in the end like what were some of those I guess tangible steps that we can see that you yeah 
So the first one was joining a community. So there are many communities out there that do what RMA does, but for women looking to give up alcohol. Mm. And I joined one. Um, it was UK based and I was the only lady in Australia in the whole group because this was going back to a time when it was less talked about in Australia. Yeah. And those women got me sober in the way that RMA helped me with my running, you know, like these having people that get it because you feel so alone at times. You feel so alone when all your friends are drinking and look, God, my friends are beautiful and they have been supportive, but there's been times when things have been hurtful, which they probably haven't intended, but like they would, would be going out to an all you can drink afternoon tea and I don't get invited anymore because mm. I don't drink anymore. But I still mm. want to go. I want to see my friends and have fun. But I think they think, well, Sarah's not going to want to go. She doesn't drink. Whereas for me, I, don't, I, I do want to go because I want to be with them. But maybe their purpose for going is to drink. And so they can't understand why I would want to go. So it's been a big shift in changing my friendships. But connection in that group was absolutely massive. There's brilliant podcasts out there about being alcohol-free. There are amazing books. Like, so all of that really, really cemented for me what I needed. And then what I had to start doing was building that toolkit, what you talked about earlier of what are the other things I can do? Because being alcohol-free doesn't mean that suddenly life is all rainbows and unicorns. There's still yeah. shit that happens. You know, my kids are still naughty. My husband still pisses me off. Work is still a nightmare. Like all of those things happen. But instead of reaching for wine, I've got to have other things. And I do. So it is my exercise. It is walking. It is meditation. It is yoga. It is having, um, you know, making sure that I'm really in control of my time and I'm not getting so overwhelmed that I'm so stressed that the only thing I want to do is reach for wine. It's, you know, all of those things, but connection I think is absolutely key. And that's why I set up the group that I set up so yeah. that women in Australia can, can form friendships and relationships online with other women who are going through the same thing because it's lonely. Mm. And I mean, what's the name of the group? So people will put it in the show notes, but what's yeah. it called? It's the Women's Wellbeing Collective. Hmm. So the people that you've worked with in this group and that have shared, you know, with each other on, the, on their own journeys, like what have you seen some of the benefits for them and yourself in giving up grey area drinking? What have you noticed has shifted in their life? Um, the first thing is anxiety. So that removal of anxiety, um, which massively makes um, a change. The second thing is sleep. So I've got to that point where every time I drank, I would wake up at 3 a.m. And there's a physiological reason for that um, with your body processing the alcohol and how long it takes to go through alcohol withdrawal. So then I was sleeping well. So then I had more energy. So then I had more mental clarity. So then I felt more positive and more motivated. And my whole inner dialogue it's probably the, the, the world inside my head just completely did a 180. And I went from this constant inner critic, negative voice going, oh, you drank too much. What did you say last night? You would have made a dick of yourself again. Oh, you can never stick to what you say you're going to do. That constant voice that's always shouting at you has completely all but disappeared. And now my voice is positive and upbeat and uplifting and oh, you want to go do that? Why not give it a try? Like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, I take more risks. I've got more confidence in myself. And that's definitely all the things that my ladies notice is, like, you can't go on this journey of getting to know yourself without alcohol, without going on a journey of self-discovery. Because if you're drinking at the level that I was, you don't even know yourself and who you are without drinking because it's such a big part of you. So you have to get to know you all over again. And I've watched women 
go back to uni, get massive promotions, um, take up hobbies, take up running, go back to musical theatre, like start to create a life that they absolutely love and that fulfills them because they've removed the alcohol that actually holds us back from taking those risks and, and, and building our self-esteem. Because when we're stuck in a world of drinking and hangovers, our world is so small. Mm. And removing the alcohol opens it up so much. Yeah. Wow. And that's, I mean, it must be such a rewarding thing to be able to witness like each day, like see these women's lives be changed. I mean, I know myself, it's so rewarding to see that um, when someone says, you know, in terms of running, like, you know, where they've come from and to where they are now and just how that's changed their life. So well done to you for, I guess, listening to the voice in your own head that told you you needed to make a change and acting on it and sticking it out. I mean, it wasn't easy. It it required commitment. It required effort, required you to stick it out. And it still requires you to stick it out as we said. So well done to you for creating that because obviously there was a space in Australia that needed you to fill that void that wasn't there for people um, that really needed that. So where can people like find the women's wellbeing collective like on on facebook like where can they find it so the women's wellbeing collective um is just a free group on facebook and there's so much support in there there's so many resources there's so many videos um there's ten thousand women now all over the world who are supporting each other Um, and then my website is where you can find details of the programs um that i offer because i do um 30-day alcohol-free programs four times a year just um, because I think it's all about connection. And if you're doing it alongside a group of other women at the same time, we're in a dry January one at the moment. And my goodness, the support that these women are giving each other, it's just incredible. Mm. Um, and then I go on to do a, a, a program that's all about, and it's called Rediscovering Me. Mm. And it's like, well, actually I've removed alcohol, but who the hell am I without it? Because that was my biggest fear. Who am I? I don't even know myself. And so I take the women through all of the stuff that I went through, but I condense it down. It's my two years of knowledge condensed down into an eight week program to help them get there quicker. Oh, I love that. And mm-hmm. like, you know, that's now your job. That's like what you do. I know. Yeah. So I know. it's pretty funny when you look back and think, you know, six years ago, would you have thought that this is what you would be doing with your life? I know. I've just signed a contract with um, a big mining company and they're flying me up all over WA to the mine sites to do talks on alcohol and mental health. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And this is the thing. I just never, ever thought that this is where I'd be. And it's all down to RMA and it's all down to that post from Alex Muir. (laughs) Oh, well, happy that, you know, we helped in some way. (laughs) And I think, you know, there's there's just certain things that I think need to be shared. And I think this is a really big one um, because I've noticed like just in my own life, just how this affects so many different women. I wanted to talk too about how like you might have women who might reach out today after listening to this podcast and say like, you know, I have a drink of wine a few times a week. Like what's wrong with that? Do I, you know, do I have a problem? Like, what would you say to them? You know, here, you know, in your heart. Mm. Like, I knew that I had a, you know, you, you know in yourself, if you've even asked yourself, do I have a problem? You probably do. The fact that you're even asking yourself that question, mm. you know, and so, you know, some of the people ask me, what are the signs you might be a grey area drinker? You make rules around your drinking, but you always break them. Oh, I'm going to have two drinks tonight, but it always ends up being more than that. 
the fact that you're even making rules, the fact that it even takes up a headspace where you're going, right, I'm only allowed to drink on a weekend. I'm not allowed to drink on a Thursday unless it's out having dinner. I can't drink before five o'clock. I'm only allowed, like, if you're at that point, mm. there's probably something going on with regards to your relationship with alcohol. If you're noticing that the hangovers are starting to last longer, they're impacting your mental health. The whole, the, my whole mission is to share the message. You don't have to be an alcoholic to decide to stop drinking. Yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with alcohol. I'm certainly not here to say you must never drink. But what I am here to say is, if you've got to the point where I was, where alcohol's taking more than it's giving, mm. it's okay to make that decision and be brave and just experiment. Just say to yourself, right, I'm going to give three months off and I'm just going to see if what Sarah's saying is nonsense or if it actually is something. Because mm -hmm. I can guarantee it, I've got ladies that said, right, I'm going to do your 30-day program. And that was a year ago. And here they still are, you know, because it's like being let into the world's biggest secret. Yeah. Yeah. So another question I wanted to know was like, how has your running changed since not drinking alcohol? Well, I got my best ever PB in my last half marathon. Um, I got down to, I'd always been hovering around the two hours um, and I took 10 minutes off. So um, one hour 50, which was amazing. Um, I then have had a bit of injury um, with a torn calf muscle. My calves have always been the bane of my life. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, I'm in a bit of a rehab stage with doing lots of strength training, building up my glutes, you know, doing more of the, the strength work, slowly, slowly building back into my running. Um, we'll slowly get back into park run. But yeah, that's been the absolute. The, the funny thing is that like people send me their, um, their heart, um, blood pressure and, and their resting heart rate and everything like that from taking a break from alcohol and the difference just from no other change other than removing the alcohol what a difference it makes to things like that yeah absolutely for your health what about triggers so I know for myself like in the eating um, in the past I've had an eating disorder and there's just certain triggers that might just bring that all up. And as we've said, you know, this is something that doesn't just go away magically. Like how do people and how do you deal with triggers that alcohol might bring? It's really interesting because I, I thought a, a thousand days I'd nailed it. Mm. And then even the other day, out of nowhere, I, can't, I was out somewhere and I walked past this woman and she was, it was a beautiful, hot, sunny evening. And we were at the beach and she was sat there and she had a glass of wine and that fleeting moment just came in just going oh a glass of wine at sunset on the beach mm. at six o'clock watching our beautiful wa sunset and it was just so interesting the associations that we have in our head but then i was like yeah but let's play it forward sarah and that's always my biggest tip let's play it forward it would never be one mm. and you would be awake at three o'clock in the morning hating yourself and tomorrow would be completely written off because you'd be feeling tired and miserable and full of self-loathing and regret and my biggest thing is always play it forward um and triggers do happen of course they do but i think i've got way more um we call it building the sober muscle the more times you do things and don't drink the more you get used to doing it and then the less triggered you are because you start to learn other ways of dealing with it because the brain remembers our beautiful brain just wants to keep us safe and if we felt uncomfortable and we've had wine and that's made that uncomfortable feeling go away our brain goes must drink wine when we feel like that so what we've yeah. got to start do is 
find what are the other things that help and meditation yoga running walking friendship um even doing jigsaw puzzles like who am i that i can yeah. say to you sometimes i love doing a jigsaw puzzle and just sitting there and just going off with beautiful music playing and stuff and so it's about you know and, and being pre um preempting what might be a trigger so i know that i'm going to a christmas barbecue there's going to be booze everywhere i'll have an escape plan this is how long i'm going to stay this is how um, what I'm going to drink when I'm there because the hardest thing is always when people go to offer you a drink and you say you don't drink um, and so I take alcohol free champagne with me or depending on what mood I'm in you know the, the people definitely want to start bending your ear off like the minute I say I don't drink everyone starts justifying well I'm only drinking because such and such I'm like I don't care you do you I'll do me I'm not interested in your yeah. drinking you don't have to justify it to me yeah and that's what I mean it's like it's so interesting that people kind of think that there's this it's something they need to feel ashamed of but it's interesting too that the the world of non-alcoholic beverages <laughs> has become so much better so like That's even me. in Woolworths now you can just yeah. pick up some bottles of non-alcoholic wine or champagne yeah. like is do you consider that like a good thing to do or maybe a little bit of a slippery slope again it depends on, on the person and that's a great question and it's heavily debated in the alcohol-free community. Um, some people find it too triggering and they just don't do it. Others absolutely love it. For me, I didn't touch alcohol-free wine for a year because I was a wine drinker. Um, so I would have alcohol-free beer every now and then, like we go out fishing on the boat a lot and you know, there's something about fishing and beer. And so taking a, a Heineken Zero or something like that, and that would like tick the box for me. And then as I've got firmer in my sobriety, alcohol-free champagne has been like, oh yeah, okay. But I, it doesn't trigger me. Um, whereas for others it does. So it's just about being curious and checking in with yourself. But for those it doesn't trigger, it's amazing. I've got women in my community who've got sober because they've been able to have the alcohol-free drinks. Yeah. So we'll finish up in a second, but so I just wanted to get you to reiterate if somebody wanted to quit drinking today and they, they put themselves in that gray area drinking box, or perhaps they're even worse than a gray area drinking. They know they have a real, real, real issue with alcohol. What would be the first step you would recommend they take? Join my community because just knowing you're not alone makes such a difference um if you go to my website i've got a free guide on there which has got all of my tips of the podcast episodes the books the youtube videos the blogs everything like that it's completely free that you can download to help you get started um but those would be the main things like immerse yourself in understanding more about this this whole new world because it it's it's really not what we think it is. We're led to believe that a life without alcohol is, is so boring and, and, and it's just not like that. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing. I'm going to quickly finish up with the RMA hot lap because I do that every single episode. So I have five questions for you. My first question is, what is your favourite place to run? Um, by the river, close to my house. Um, there's a beautiful path. It's shaded. Um, I live in near Perth, um, WA. Um, and that's just, that run has sorted out so much shit in my head. I can't tell you. Going on that run and, and doing that has been amazing. There's something about running by water. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Whether it's yeah. a, a river or a lake or, or an ocean, it's just, yeah, yeah, peaceful and and yeah you reflect on lots of things something sure. about water um what is your biggest oh, sorry 
Who is your biggest running inspiration and why? probably wouldn't have one person it would be all the women that show up in rma and no matter what their distance or what their time that they're showing up and that they're doing it because i know how easy it is not to do that and i know how easy it is to tell yourself oh i'm too old or i'm too overweight or i'm too this or i'm too that and so the inspiration to me is every single person that gets up there and does it regardless of any of those things mm, love it love that and uh, the next one is, what would you like other women to know about how to harness their best life? What do you reckon I'm going to say to that? I would say, take a break from booze. Just, yeah. just, just see it as an experiment. Don't see it as you saying, I'm going to be off the booze forever. Give yourself that chance to get to know you without alcohol. Because most women in the Western world have never had a long enough break to know who they are or what they're capable of because alcohol holds us back. So I know everyone says, how long, how long? And I usually say, just aim for 90 days if you can. That three months is enough time to really get to know what life might be like without it. Mm. Uh, if you could choose a non-alcoholic drink, which would be your favorite? Um, Thompson and Scott Naughty. It's the alcohol-free champagne. It's low sugar. It's dry. To me, it ticks all the boxes um, for an amazing alcohol-free drink. And where would you get that from? So um, most of the online stores. I've got a little store here in Perth, um, Free Spirit Drink Co. Um, and there's um, a couple of websites on the East Coast, Sands Drinks, Craft Zero, um, and they've all got it. Awesome. And the last question is... What is the best advice you can give to someone wanting to stop drinking and take back their life? Set a date and just give it your best shot and join a community, listen to others' stories, get to know the information that's out there, read the books, download that free guide off my website, set that date and see where it takes you. Because I started off intending to do 21 days and look where I am now. Mm, amazing. Thanks so much, Sarah, for sharing with us. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. I'll make sure that I put everything in the show notes and links to your website and things like that. And so everybody can go and check out your work and join the community if they would like to of other amazing women. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you. I so appreciate it. Well, I hope you loved this episode with Sarah Rispatch. I hope that it's made you have a little think about where alcohol might play a role in your life and if there's something that you might need to change. If you'd like to make contact with Sarah or other women that are going through a similar journey, you can join the Women's Wellbeing Collective on Facebook. And I'll also put in the show notes links to Sarah's website, which is sarahrispatch.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the podcast. I hope you are safe and well wherever you are. And I look forward to bringing you another episode next time.